If I were to ask you if you had any stories about frivolous lawsuits that you had read about in the news or heard about on TV or maybe even witnessed firsthand spending time on jury duty, I'm sure that, that some, if not many of you in here, would have multiple stories that, that come to mind of cases dealing with issues that are so petty they're hardly believable. Am I right? Well, a few weeks ago, I had a, a lot of fun getting online and, and reading a few of these kinds of stories, and I want to share a few of these with you this morning. The first story is about a woman in Albuquerque who one day while she was with her grandson decided to stop off at the local McDonald's and go through the drive-thru and grab a cup of coffee. Well, her grandson was driving, and before leaving the parking lot, she had him park so that she could add cream and sugar to her coffee. So she puts the cup between her knees and pulls the lid toward her, and you probably know what happens next, right? The coffee spilled all over her lap. Well, she sued McDonald's for uh, serving the coffee too hot, and the jury found that they were 80% responsible. And the matter was settled outside of court for thousands of dollars. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? Here's another one. <clears throat> we all know that the, uh, the weather reports are, are wrong at times, right? And many of us take that into account when we're planning our days. But this was not the case for one woman who sued a TV station for making an inaccurate weather prediction. Not kidding. The station predicted good weather, but it rained, and the woman claimed that due to the forecast, she was not dressed appropriately, which resulted in her getting sick, missing a week of work, and spending a ton of money on medication. So she uh, sued them and won for $1,000. Now, like I said, I read this online, so I can't affirm if that is true, but many of you... The problem is, many of you are sitting in here saying, it probably is, right? You're probably, you're, you're shaking your heads this morning saying, yeah, I, I've heard of stories just like these, or I've witnessed them firsthand. The truth is, the criminal justice system in our country today is big business, isn't it? And it's turned into great entertainment as well, hasn't it? Some of the most watched shows on TV are shows like Judge Judy, and law and order and words like I'll sue or see you in court are as common as any in our country today. Stories about children suing parents, students suing teachers, players suing coaches, celebrity couples suing one another are constantly making the news. I read recently that we have between 80 and 90 million lawsuits filed every year in this country. 70% of the world's lawyers are in America and 50,000 more are being added every year. Our society is extremely litigious, isn't it? Meaning we are, we are wrapped tightly in the legal process and are often quick to take legal action. And at times, this creeps in to the church. Along with stories I just shared with you, I also read a few weeks ago story after story about 
Christians suing other Christians, churches suing pastors, and pastors suing churches. And some of you are hearing that and you're thinking, that's crazy. Pastors suing churches, what is our world coming to? Well, guess what? This is nothing new, if you can believe it. This matter is nothing new. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you're visiting with us this morning and you think it's this to be a strange issue to discuss on Sunday morning, the issue of lawsuits in the, in the church, and you're wondering why we're not focusing on maybe a, a, a famous Bible character from the past, from the, from the Old Testament, or why we're not focusing on uh, Jesus' life and teachings from one of his four Gospels. Let me in on something. Uh, uh, what we do for the most part here on, on Sunday mornings is we go verse by verse through books of the Bible. And for the past several months, as many of you know who have been sitting through it, we have been going through the book of 1 Corinthians verse by verse. And this issue, the issue of lawsuits in the church is what's next for us in the text. Okay, And I'll be honest with you. If I was just pulling out a passage to preach from 1 Corinthians, this would not be the first place I would go. Nor the second, nor the third, nor the fourth. But that's the great thing about preaching verse by verse through books of the Bible. When you're committed to preach what's next in the text, God really sets the agenda. And you're forced to deal with passages that you wouldn't normally deal with. And here we are this morning at this passage. But I also want you to understand something. Though the issue of legal action and the legal process in the church and legal action in the church mentioned here by Paul is a bit unique to tackle on a Sunday morning, it is very important. Paul gives a half a chapter in this book, this important book of 1 Corinthians, to discuss it. And I also want you to see this morning that what Paul says here is extremely practical for us today. Here's the reason why. The reason why is because the church is the place where deep and meaningful friendships are, are formed. And at times, what, what happens is, when, 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 these, when, when believers spend time together, when they vacation together, spend holidays together, raise their children together, they will also, at times, do business together. Maybe some of you in here have done business together. Maybe you've bought a home from someone in the church or rented property to someone in the church or bought a car from someone in the church or maybe you, you had some people come and, and, and work from the church on your home. This happens. We like to hire one another and help one another as believers, and this is a good thing. It's good for you to do business together so you can help one another out, so he can feed his family and, and you can feed your family. But though this, is, this happens, and at times it's a good thing, when people do business together, there are also times when, when disagreements and disputes happen as well. At times, someone doesn't do a good job, doesn't follow through, doesn't meet expectations, doesn't complete the work, or doesn't get paid for the work that they do. What then? How should we as believers respond, particularly when something has gone wrong in a business sense with another Christian in the church? 
Well, in our country, the answer is simple, isn't it? Get a lawyer and go for the throat. But what's the biblical response? Well, Paul tells us here in this passage, his message to the Christians at Corinth this morning is this, handle trivial disputes in a godly way. Handle trivial disputes in a godly way. And and let me also say this before we get into this passage. Though the application is often made from this passage, uh, is made about Christians in business with one another, an even greater application can be made from 1 Corinthians 6 to disputes between husbands and wives, parents and children, and friends and neighbors. Whoever it is and whatever it is, handle trivial disputes in a godly way. And in verses 1 through 11, Paul tells us how to do just that. The first way is, number one, to avoid the world's approach. Avoid the world's approach. Now, before we get into this text of Scripture, to better understand this passage, it's important for us to understand a little bit more about the city of Corinth. Like I said earlier, the litigious nature of our culture is nothing new. In fact, there were, there were many cities in the first century where this was the case as well. Though we don't know specifically the goings-on in, in, uh, with the judicial system in Corinth, we do have a lot of information about what was going on in their neighboring city, the city of Athens. And in these cultures were, were, were very similar to one another, so we can understand a lot about Corinth just by studying the, uh, the culture in Athens. In Athens, in the first century, most everybody was involved in the legal process. It was considered by many to be the leading form of entertainment for people. If, if baseball is America's favorite pastime, which I'm not sure if it is anymore. Some of you would be like, yes, it is. But, but it was at one time. This is the way it was for the Greeks. Litigation was the same way. It was a, it was a favorite pastime for the Greeks. In those days, cases did not take place in a, in a little bitty courthouse on, on the, in the middle of town. But it took place in the middle of the marketplace, out in the open, for all to see. And people would come from all around. They would flock to these places to watch and even to participate in the hearings. I actually heard that during some court cases, they had jurors as many as, they had as many as 3,000 jurors for, for one case. Now that's, it, that, I think they had majority rule. They must have had to. Uh, they, I, I, would, I would decline that jury duty for sure. Now you talk about drawn out. That would be, that'd be ridiculous. But but uh, they were involved in these court cases in this way. They, they were also widely discussed throughout the city. People talked about the latest case, like we talk about sports, politics, and, and the weather today. And these, in these cities, these court cases were taking place continuously. And the reason why I mention that is this. Because those in the church at Corinth, they, they had grown up with this type of setting. And they truly believed, there were many of them who truly believed that this was the best way to resolve disputes, was to go through the local courts. So for many of them, when they had an issue with another believer, no matter how petty, they would go through this process and they would take one another to court. 
Once again, like I said last week, and like I've said in the past, sermons on 1 Corinthians, the, though the Corinthians had been saved by God, and though they had been set apart, many of them were still allowing these, these old influences from their ungodly past impact their new life in Christ. And remember what Paul told them in the previous passage in chapter 5? He tells the Corinthians, you've got to get rid of these old influences. You have got to do away with your old ways of doing things. Nothing from your old life, none of the habits and hang-ups from your former life should be welcome into your new life in Christ. They do nothing but hurt you individually, and they hurt the church corporately. Paul makes a similar point here in 1 Corinthians 6. Now, before we look at verse 1, skip down to verses 9 through 11. Look at what Paul says here. He says, Or do you not know that not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Once again, Paul is calling for the Corinthians to make this break from their old life, to, to, to separate themselves from these old influences. He says, though you were once in the same boat with these guys, with the ungodly, you have now been washed. You have been saved. You are a new creation. It's not something that's added to your new life, <clears throat> to your old life. But it's a new life altogether. It's what God wants from you. He doesn't want to see remnants from the old in with the new, just new. That's what Paul's telling them. And again, this is his reasoning for writing verses 1 through 8 in 1 Corinthians 6. Look at what he says in verse 1. Paul says, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous? instead of the saints. Now, this verse has a, a bit more bite to it than the way it reads here. A little is lost in the translation, but what Paul is literally saying here is this. How dare you? How dare you take these issues that you have before one, with one another before the unrighteous, before the unjust? How dare you? Now, that word unjust used there is not attacking the moral character of the judges and jurors in that day. Paul's not saying believers could not get their fair shake in the courts. He's not saying there's no justice in the courts. In other places in Scripture, Paul speaks favorably of these systems. And we're going to look at one of those passages here in a moment. Paul understood that, that, that God established governments and the courts to protect people and to restrain evil. The point Paul is making here is that these judges and jurors are unjust in that they are unjustified. Meaning they are not believers. They are not saved. Paul is critical of the fact that the Christians at Corinth were taking their petty disputes that they had with one another out in the public. 
He was upset that they were airing their dirty laundry before the unbelieving world. This was bad for several reasons. The first one's pretty obvious. When you have a lot of Christians suing one another in the church, makes for a pretty miserable church, doesn't it? Yeah. Everybody gets together and they're all tied up in litigation. It's kind of hard to be in that Bible study, isn't it? Now one guy, pray for my court case. Yeah, mine too, you know? Makes for a very awkward prayer meeting when everybody's got a suit and a countersuit, and that's what was going on in Corinth. Another reason this is bad is because they were damaging the reputation of the church. Like I explained earlier, because these cases took place in the public square and were so publicized, if a believer was suing another believer, everyone knew about it. They knew it. They witnessed it. They had a front row seat to watch it go down, to watch these two believers go at it in court. This is not good. And the third problem with this approach is that what the believers were basically saying by going to the secular courts instead of taking matters before believers in the church was they were saying the world's approach to dealing with disputes is better than the church's. They were basically saying man's way of doing things is better than God's. Believers, though the church is not perfect, nor should ever claim to be, we are to be set apart. When we have disputes, which we will, it's imperative that we deal with these disputes in a godly way. You know why? One of the main reasons why is because the unbelieving world is watching. They are. If they look and see people, God's people, supposedly God's people, constantly bickering and fighting with one another and holding grudges and, God forbid, taking one another to court, You know what they're thinking to themselves? If that's what the Christian life is all about, I'll pass. I can do without. My prayer for us, continual prayer for us, is that we as a church, when we are being examined, which we are and which we will be, by the watching world, I pray that we would be above reproach, that we would be above accusation, that that we would not, not be what the world expects us to be. My prayer is that we would be set apart by avoiding the world's approach to dealing with disputes. My prayer is that we would handle trivial disputes in a godly way. Number two. To deal with trivial disputes in a godly way, we must seek counsel from believers. Paul says instead of rushing off to court, instead of of taking matters before the the unbelieving world, instead we we should seek counsel from believers. We should take these matters before the saints. Now, the question I hear from a lot of people when they're, when they're given, this, uh, given this option, they, they just say, why do that? You know? When a person goes to another person who's having marital problems or who's having an issue with another believer and says, you know what, you need to go talk to the pastor, people often say, what's the point in that? You know? Why would I take my issues before a pastor? What good will that do? Why should I, should I seek out a committed Christian for advice? I have an attorney who can get me what I want. 
I have an attorney who can get me what I need and make me happy. What good's a pastor going to do? Well, Paul tells us here in verses 2 and 3. He says, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than, how much more than matters pertaining to this life? Paul is speaking to those people that I just, that I just mentioned, those who question the, the, the abilities of committed Christians when dealing with these types of issues. And he says, do you not realize that someday the saints are going to judge the world? How incredible is that truth? It's amazing, isn't it? Believers, do you realize that? Sure, many in here realize that, that the Lord Jesus is returning someday soon, and that when he returns, he's going to set up a, a kingdom here on earth. But did you know that we're going to be ruling with him? The Bible tells us that his people throughout the ages are going to reign with him in his kingdom. Someday, we're going to rule this world with Christ. We're going to be sitting on Christ's supreme court and be ruling over the world. In verse 3, Paul goes even further to say this. Do you not know that we are to judge angels? It's an interesting statement, isn't it? It says someday in the near future, Christians are going to rule over the angels. And he says all that to make a very practical point. He says because this is true, because one day we will judge angels and be handling the affairs of the world, how much more so should we be entrusted to handle local, trivial matters between believers and the church? It's a good question, isn't it? God's plan for the church is to eventually rule the world, then the church should be considered more than capable of handling private, trivial matters such as these. In verse 4, Paul goes on to say, So if you have such cases... Why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? Now, though it doesn't look like it here, this, this verse is a, a, a difficult verse to translate. A lot gets lost in the translation from, from the uh, Greek to the English. There's a lot of uh, words in, in odd places, and I'm not going to go into much detail, but uh, a, a lot gets lost in the translation here. And, and actually... There are, uh, you'll find in the ESV, in the New King James, in the NASB, they translate verse 4 in the form of a question, while the NIV and King James have it as a command. Now, this does not mean that the Bible contains an error, okay? When we say the Bible is inerrant, when it is without error, we mean it is without error in the original Greek and Hebrew manuscripts, and it is inerrant in our Bible insofar as our Bible is consistent with the original manuscripts. But, but because of the way this is worded here, in the original language, it's very difficult to tell if Paul is asking a question or if he's making a statement because there's no punctuation in the original Greek. So we have to make an educated guess. And, and to do that, we have to let the surrounding context weigh in heavily on the way we interpret this particular verse. From the commentaries I've read and just looking at the surrounding context, I think the NIV and the King James translates verse 4 correctly here. The NIV says this, Therefore, 
If you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. The point I believe Paul's making here, which is consistent with the context surrounding it, is that the least esteemed of believers are more capable than the best equipped of unbelievers in handling trivial matters in a way that honors God. And the reason why? It's because they're in Christ. They have the mind of Christ. They are above the world. They are above angels. They are joint heirs to God's kingdom. Once again, Paul's making the point that if believers are going to reign in this world, they are more than capable of, of handling these petty, trivial issues in the church. Now let me say this. <clears throat> I want you to understand something as we talk about this. Know that Paul is not saying that believers should never end up in secular court. He's not saying that. We, it's very important that we balance what he says in 1 Corinthians 6 with what Paul says in Romans 13, 1-7. If you don't, you could end up making some serious mistakes. In the passage in Romans 13, Paul explains how God works in and through the secular systems of government and the secular courts. He tells us that God has organized these governments and laws and he works for justice through the secular courts, through secular governments and through secular laws. So Paul is not saying in 1 Corinthians 6 that the church should function completely separate from the secular courts in any and every situation. And he's not saying that, that believers should never have any dealings in the secular courts. Notice at the end of verse 2, Paul mentions that he's referring to trivial cases. Now those two words are often overlooked, but they're very, very important. The word trivial in the Greek just means something of least importance. So what Paul is talking about here are petty and frivolous issues. Issues like you see on Judge Judy. Issues like, my neighbor's dog kept me up half the night barking, and I want $1,000 due to lack of sleep. It's a petty issue. It's a frivolous issue. These are the types of things that the Corinthians were, were bringing before the courts. But Paul is clear, however, in, in Romans 13, that God has organized and works in and through the secular courts to bring about justice on bigger issues, criminal issues, issues like burglary, rape, murder. Those are criminal activities. If a crime like this is committed and it's brought to the church or, or takes place at the church, we are not to try to handle this issue in-house. We're to, hand, we're, we're to, to uh, uh, contact the proper authorities. Now, some of you are thinking, well, yeah, you know, that just, that just makes sense. You don't even have to tell me that. That's it's common sense. Well, let me tell you, there have been churches that have used 1 Corinthians 6 to cover up serious criminal activity. It's not what Paul's saying. He's saying that Christians should not burden the courts with trivial matters. He's not saying that Christians should bypass the courts on criminal matters. You got it? So there are exceptions, but here in this passage, Paul is talking about burdening the courts with trivial matters, and he says, take those issues before the saints. Look at verse 5. 
He says, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? Here Paul goes again with sarcasm toward the Corinthians. As we've talked about already, Paul has been pretty sarcastic to these guys on occasion, right? And he starts in with it again. He says, can it be that these trivial issues are too big for you? You don't have one person who can make this kind of decision among you? Nobody? Paul's being somewhat sarcastic here. You see, the Corinthians, like we've talked about already, they were prideful people, weren't they? They, they thought they had arrived. They thought they were a cut above the rest. They thought they were, were, were on a superior level when it came to wisdom. So Paul comes at them like this. He says, I, I thought you were the great Corinthians. I thought you guys had superior wisdom. If that's the case, then why can't you handle these trivial matters within the church? Why can't you handle these things in-house? It's a good question, isn't it? Instead of doing that, verse 6, brothers were going to law against brothers before unbelievers. I love that Paul refers to them as brothers here. That's not by accident. He's saying, you're family. You are the family of God. You are brothers, so deal with this issue, these issues as family, as brothers. Growing up, my brother and I had a, a, quite a few disagreements, to say the least. And uh, there were times when my parents had to come in and, and be the mediator between us two. And a lot of the time, they were, they were just petty issues. But there was never a time when we didn't handle these issues in-house. There was never a time when we took issues that my brother and I were having outside of the family. And that's what Paul is calling for here. <clears throat> He's calling for them to deal with these issues in-house and not to take these issues before the unbelieving world. Believers, this is a good word for us, isn't it? At times, we have disputes with one another. We have a tendency to, to take our issues before the unbelieving world, don't we? Whether it be an ungodly counselor giving unbiblical advice or a non-Christian friend at work or at school. Many spouses, both male and female, are getting the majority of their marital counseling from the worst of places. Oftentimes, it's that guy or girl who's been married two or three times who is, who is giving out all the marital advice. And it's, and it's just being received without question. Maybe you're here this morning in a similar situation. You're on the verge of, of leaving your spouse because of the advice that you have received from a, from a co-worker or, or a friend. Maybe you're making parenting decisions that are ungodly because of something you saw on TV or maybe you're considering ending a good godly friendship over a petty issue because you had a, someone else tell you hey I wouldn't take that from them listen you don't need worldly advice on these issues you need good godly counsel and I would encourage you to, to trust the church, when it comes to dealing with this issue, I would encourage you to take these matters, not before the unbelieving world, but before the godly, before the saints, before the church. Third and finally, 
to deal with trivial disputes in a godly way, we must swallow pride for the cause of Christ. Look at verses 7 and 8. Paul says, To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. As we've said already, the, the, the Christians at Corinth, they struggled with pride, didn't they? And we see this again here in, in this passage, don't we? They were so concerned with their own reputations and about winning an argument that they went as far as defrauding one another. They were slamming one another, attempting to destroy one another's reputation in, in, in the public square, but they were also stealing from one another. For what? To win. To win an argument. To salvage a reputation. You know how Paul responds here? He says no matter what happens in the courts, no matter how it turns out, no matter how much money you get, no matter who wins or who loses, in God's eyes, you both lose. You lose. Paul says here that, that taking a believer to court before the unbelieving world is a no-win situation. It's a total defeat because it destroys Christian relationships, it ruins the reputation of the church, and it displeases God. It's a no-win situation. He says, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not be wronged? In other words, better to take one on the chin than take down another believer and the church. Jesus said something similar in Matthew 5, 39-40. He said, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. I know for some of you this is extreme, isn't it? This is radical, but listen, this is straight from the mouth of Christ and from Paul. And they're talking about something even deeper here than just trivial issues or civil court cases. They're calling for God's people to not lose sight of what's truly important. You see, the Corinthians, they were going to court because they valued their reputation more than God's and they valued earthly possessions more than heavenly treasures. Paul's calling for them to get their values in order, get their priorities straight. Examine your life with me this morning. Take a moment, just examine your life. What, what do you most value? What is truly most important to you? Your reputation or the church's? Earthly possessions or heavenly treasures? Your rights or your testimony? Public opinion or God's approval? Personal victory or God's glory. It's so important that we keep our values in check. It's so important that we handle trivial disputes in a godly way because one day, whether we like it or not, we're all going to have our day in court. 
And in that day, the details of our life are going to be laid out for all to see. And there's only going to be one ruling that will concern us on that day, and that will be God's. I'll tell you, I, I want more than anything on that day for him to look at the life I live and see that I lived it for him and for his glory. Believers, I hope and pray that you share this desire with me. Would you pray with me?